Welcome to Audio Stories, Youth Taking Action, a mini-series sponsored by the National Training and Technical Assistance Center and Youth Move National. Audio Stories is a project created to look at the important work that youth and young adults across the nation are doing in areas of mental health and other youth-serving systems to highlight the achievements surrounding topics that advocate for change. Today, we will be speaking with Najoni Detsosi Gomez from Preston Mesa, which is part of the Navajo Nation and is currently a freshman at Dartmouth College. Najoni is majoring in Native American and Indigenous Studies with a minor in education and is here to share her experiences as a Native American youth making positive change in systems. Thanks, Matt. Hi, everyone. My name is TJ McGrath. I am the newest member to the national leadership team here at Youth Move National. Um, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California, and my pronouns are he, him, his. I have the pleasure today of being able to get to know Najoni a little bit more on a personal note slash professional note. Um, welcome, Najoni. How are you? Hello. Thank you. I'm good. Uh, a little bit about me. Yat uh, everyone. So my name is Nijoni Dahlia Denetsosi Gomez, and as Matt said, I am from Preston Mesa, Arizona, but I went to school in Phoenix. Um, and right now I'm currently a student at Dartmouth. I'm a freshman at 25, meaning I'll graduate in 2025. I love that. Yeah, I was going to ask. So for people who can't put Preston Mesa on a map, where exactly is it in, in perspective of the United States of America? And you just said it was Arizona. So I love that. Mm-hmm. What's it like out there? I would say for other people, if they were to go there, I'd say it's in the middle of nowhere because it's kind of farther out from closer to Tuba City, which is an hour away from Flagstaff and about an hour drive to our ranch, which is near Preston Mesa, which is a mesa out there, and it's just a landmark that we uh, use so that it's more used for like locals to know where it is. But it's just, it's sandy out here and it's got nice rolling hills. We have a couple of horses out there and we have our livestock and cattle, a few chickens and a few cats. Sounds like you have your hands full out there. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice. It's very relaxing. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for joining us today. All right. Do you want to get started? Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, let's dive in a little bit deeper. Um, Thanks for telling us a little bit about yourself. So now why don't we see how has your identity as a Native American youth shaped your educational journey? I think being a Native American youth, it's really helped me have a different perspective on my education, you know, approaching it not only from a Western view, but also from my traditional views of, you know, having a holistic approach meaning that, you know, I'm looking at things through, like, mentally thinking it through, spiritually, you know, educationally and physically, and that allows me to just kind of, like, tackle different situations in different ways rather than just, you know, pushing through, just through, you know, educationally, like, trying to work through that kind of stuff. Did you always want to study and pursue Native American and Indigenous studies? Has that always been, like, your direction? I think that Native American studies has always been my something that I've always been curious about having you know I didn't grow up in the in the reservation schools and I went to school in in the city 
because the schools on the reservation aren't the best. So I think I've always craved, you know, that part of being able to always be in the ceremonies and learn more about our past. So that's, I think that will be a lifelong thing for almost a lot of Native Americans is just trying to reconnect to who we are. And so I feel like that's always in every aspect going to be something that I'm trying to learn. You know, Natives who are in urban areas, they are treated differently, having mainly grown up in that kind of system. There are those cultural differences. And like, for example, like when I was younger, I didn't really, I had a hard time speaking up for myself. And sometimes you'd have teachers or students who weren't used to, you know, seeing a Native American. And I was usually the only Native American in my class. So when I would wear my traditional outfits or I would come back from a ceremony, you're treated differently. You're, you're looked at differently. And that already puts you as an outcast, which can be very <laughs> detrimental for your education and, you know, not feeling like you really fit in anywhere. And, you know, dealing with teachers and students who are racist and who are, you know, biased against you and so that just already puts you at a very fighting stance kind of like you're always on edge about like having to protect yourself and especially having two younger brothers who are eventually going to go through that classroom what i did want to say is i can totally kind of relate to being you know the outcast growing up because myself i'm asian american being raised and growing up in the middle of the south i totally can just relate to all the things that you were sharing about um, your experience in the education system. So thank you for that. I wanted to know after you graduate from Dartmouth, are you going to, do you plan on like going back to the reservation education system to teach and maybe fix things or are you going to yeah. stay like out here? I definitely have ideas <laughs> for what I want to do, especially in Native American teachings. You know, we're always told to go out and get our education and to go, you know, explore and do what we want. But in the end of the day, uh, we always come home and everything is very much in a circle for us. So everything leads back home. So I know eventually I will come back home and I definitely do want to teach out here. And I want to eventually, the end goal is to open it up a school out here and do more traditional teachings. But I know in order for me to do that, I do need to come home and learn those teachings. And of course, I want to travel and go to maybe other reservations and see what the, the same issues, I guess, that are happening in all reservations so that I'm able to come back and not just help my my people, but find a way that we're all able to figure out a system for ourselves for different reservations too, to kind of implement in their schooling systems. So it's not just me coming back to my home and fixing it, but figuring out a way that we can all work together to find one system. Absolutely. You're, you're thinking bigger picture stuff, which I love. I believe in you. We believe in you. Thank you. <laughs> so have you encountered challenges in other systems? So definitely like mental health, health care. What can you talk about that? Mental health, especially within our communities, it's hard. Like there's a lot of that trauma already with the healthcare system and the things that go on out here and how we're just kind of, we're invisible to government or, or pushed to the side. I mean, even during this pandemic that we're in now, it still shows that's just the norm to treat Native Americans with such disrespect and continuing that trauma. And that creates an even harder relationship that's just not going to be patched up in a day of the elderly not wanting to get help or wanting to go into those systems because they don't think that it's 
there to help them. And on top of that, we have our own traditional ways of health and going into ceremonies, but a lot of that has been lost as well, especially during the pandemic. It's hard to go and see our ceremonial men and women because it's not safe. And also we've lost a lot of our elderly uh, ceremonial men and women to the pandemic and fight the system to have them help us. What do you think plays a big role in the mistrust when it comes to mental health healthcare systems between reservations and, you know, the public system? Is it because, you know, the different administrations and policy leaders we have in the country? Is it because not enough outreach and education between the two? What do you think is like the biggest barriers when it comes to that? There are a few different barriers one of the biggest being there are many ways that the government has tried killing us off through genocide and it's hard to trust those systems when it continues to show that they don't care about us and it's hard to heal from that and it's hard to trust those systems so you already have people coming in trying to get help and get health care but it can be hard because they just they don't have that trust. And so they don't sometimes always tell, you know, the full truth or everything just because they don't want to give that power away. And on top of that, the government hasn't apologized for what they've done and are still doing to Native Americans today. So it's just a constant battle between those two. And they're trying to get help, but it's hard to get help when you're battling each other. And you need to create that trust and understanding, of course, because a lot of healthcare facilities don't understand or don't recognize that we also have our own ways of taking care of ourselves through ceremonial and spiritual health and those parts of our cultures aren't acknowledged and for example when you go into the doctor's office they ask me oh do you smoke and it's looked down upon to smoke because it's you know smoking traditional tobacco is bad for your lungs but in ceremonial spiritual healing we pick our own tobacco and it's healthy and it's from our lands and it's something we've done for generations and a way of you know meditating and praying and healing ourselves and that's looked down upon in you know regular healthcare facilities. I feel the need to lie about that because it feels looked down upon. And just, you know, certain instances like that where it's like already you're not having a truthful relationship with that doctor, with those people, because you know there's that misunderstanding already that they don't know where you come from and what tradition means to you and how other ways you can look and seek help. Absolutely. Wow, that was very powerful with the whole tobacco thing. Never realized because growing up here, I just know those questions are going to come when I go to the doctor's office. Do you smoke? Yeah. Do you drink? But then I don't think about it from a perspective of someone who that's part of our culture. Yeah. So I'm kind of thinking like these barriers and challenges that you're facing as an American that are still, you know, prevalent today. When I was in going into high school my first year, freshman year, my youngest brother, the school that he had went to was doing a show. And one of the like little breaks that they were doing in that show was a Mawadi dance. And it's called the Hakka Ceremonial War Dance. And it's a very powerful dance. It's really beautiful. And they had a student who had gone to New Zealand and like learned the dance. And so they used that as kind of an excuse to do the dance. But It was very interesting the way they went about it because they had decided to do not even the real dance. It was just a kind of tribal music that played in the background. I don't know where that music came from and just stomping around. And it was very clearly disrespectful to the culture and 
Hawaii people and we did not want our brother you know to be in that be around that cultural appropriation and think that that's okay and so that's kind of where it started for me is like I knew for my brothers I didn't want them to think that that was okay and to just kind of take that and just be like oh well that's how it is and so I created a presentation that I've been giving for a while now on a cultural appropriation. I gave it to the faculty there at my brother's school, and I've been giving it to multiple schools now and even healthcare facilities. But it's grown since then to kind of just being on Native American perspectives and specifically, you know, because I can only really speak on my perspective. I came to the realization that a lot of it just comes from like privilege bubble of understanding where other people might be coming from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Basically, those cultural appropriation presentations, those would be beneficial to um, educators around the country and system changers. Especially more important when we hear the students. And I've noticed that has a big impact on teachers and faculty when they hear the students talking like, hey, we don't like it when, you know, you guys do this. And I think it's weird that we don't have that kind of relationship with the teachers and faculty. It's kind of like the teachers just telling the students, okay, do this and listen. And if you don't, then you get in trouble rather than giving those students the voice that they need to advocate for themselves and creating that relationship. Yes. Giving them the voice and the platform to make positive changes in these systems. Love it. Mm -hmm. What do you want people to know about Native American youth experiences? What you see in the future, some major changes that you want to share? I want people to specifically know every student is different especially Native Americans and the different tribes that we come from, they're very different. So I'm speaking from a Diné and Navajo perspective and to take that into your mind and know that all of us are different and we all come from different backgrounds and come from different families. And so it might not all be the same. And there's that learning curve of learning about other people's culture and you may stumble and fall and being able, but being able to, you know, reach out to your student and know a little bit more about them. It makes a whole world different and acknowledging where they come from and who they are and, you know, telling the correct information, specifically like Christopher Columbus in Thanksgiving and telling the truth about that, of what happened to the Native Americans and not lying to, you know, your students. And it may be difficult sometimes. I understand that from a student. I understand that it might be hard to find those different different ways to be able to express that, but it always starts somewhere. It's okay to not get it right. And you might have students who will be like, cool, correct you. Don't take it as disrespect or anything. It's just the learning experience for everyone. Everyone is always learning. So just because you're the teacher doesn't mean you know everything. And that's, I think, something that we all need to come to terms with is we're not going to know everything. That's also the beauty of knowledge is you can never stop. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Can we do a part two about just learning <laughs> Thanksgiving and Columbus Day? Like yes. Yes. Oh. All my um, all my relations is another podcast. All my relations is so good with explaining so many hard topics and just like how to approach them. And it's such an amazing podcast. I listen to that all the time. While we're wrapping up, is there any way people can follow you to see what you're doing in the future? Do you have social media you want to share? Yes. Instagram, Nijoni DG, N-I-Z-H-O-N-I-E-D-G. Anything else you want to wrap up with? I would like to say, you know, thank you, you guys, Matt and TJ for having me here today. This has been really cool. And I really appreciate you giving me this platform to speak on 
you know, Native youth experiences. Uh, thank you to my family and friends, of course. This is not just me. This is all of their words as well who have helped uh, have huge impacts on my life to get me to where I am today. So, of course, I couldn't have been here without my Shumasane and, you know, my grandmother and my mom and dad and brothers who have all helped teach me a lot of what I know now. Well, thank you to Najoni for being here. I've learned a lot. I think Matt has learned a lot and our listeners are definitely going to learn a lot and continue the work in uh, making positive change in the system. So thank you on behalf of Youth Move National. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Najoni. Have a wonderful yes, day. Love that. Bye. This has been Audio Stories, Youth Taking Action. Thank you from the Youth Move National team. We strive to unite voices and causes of youth while raising awareness of youth issues in mental health, juvenile justice, education, and other youth-serving systems. To find out more and get connected to Youth Move National or a Youth Move chapter, visit www.youthmovenational.org. This product was prepared for the National Training and Technical Assistance Center for Child, Youth, and Family Mental Health, NTAC, under a cooperative agreement from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA. All material appearing in this presentation, except that taken directly from copyrighted sources, is in the public domain and may be reproduced or copied without permission from SAMHSA or the authors. Citation of the source is appreciated. Do not reproduce or distribute this presentation for a fee without specific written authorization from NTAC. This product is supported by SAMHSA of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, as part of Financial Assistance Award SM20008 over five years, 2020 through 2025, with 100% funding by SAMHSA and HHS. At the time of this presentation, Miriam Delphin Rittman served as Assistant Secretary for Mental Health and Substance Use and administrator of SAMHSA. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement of SAMHSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.